Finding Mommy's Soft Voice, the podcast for moms who are professionals looking to shift from surviving to thriving. Heal yourself, heal your family. Welcome. I am your host, Mama Honey, the Serenity Maven, and I am your intuitive healer and fearless freedom coach at the targetedwellbeingcenter.com. Welcome to today's episode. You're invited to join me now. Welcome. I am Mama Honey, the Serenity Maven, your intuitive healer and fearless freedom coach here at the Targeted Wellbeing Center. I am here with Karen Terrace, and she has an expertise in pleasurable parenting. And who doesn't want to have an enjoyable experience with parenting? So, um, Karen, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, you know what? One of the things that that I realized in my journey, and I'm, I'm assuming there's other mothers out there um, that may be struggling with this, and that's um, childhood wounding and how that is showing up. Um, can you share with us what childhood wounding is? Yeah, let's, let's dive deep. Let's just jump off the deep end into that one. Um, <laughs> why is Lady Gaga shallow playing in my head right now? Um, so... Wounding is a very subjective term, and some people use the word trauma, some people use the word trigger, some people use abuse, neglect, all of these different things are actually uh, describing the way that your brain developed as a child, and how you uh, inferred those reactions or interactions with your parents. So some people might have gotten spanked. And because they had cousins and other people to, to talk about that relationship with, they didn't find any trauma in that because they realized, oh, Uncle Bob spanks and Auntie May spanks and my dad spanks. And like, that's just, that's just what happened. So you can get spanked and, and it never really affected you. It just was part of who you were. Or like for me personally, I'm an only child and I don't have very many cousins, none that are in my same age and none that lived in my state. So I was very isolated as a child. So getting spanked, I didn't consider that normal because when I would go to my friends' houses, it's not like we were talking to each other about how we were disciplined when we were nine. And I never really saw anything at my friends' houses that would make me think that they were getting spanked or anything like that. So it took me until I was like 17 or 18 to learn that that was actually a very normal way to discipline. And it was punishment actually, because the term punishment, that's like, we know what a punishment is. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline means to teach. It has the same root word as the word disciple, but somehow across the lines, it's, they've melded together. You, you, you have a consequence, and then when you have a consequence, you're disciplining your kid. Really, what you're doing is you're punishing them for using fear-based methods. So getting bigger, getting louder, getting scarier to control your child. You're, you're dominating your child, essentially. So what, which is true, which is more dra traumatic, the child who gets spanked and doesn't have anyone to talk about it with, or the child who gets spanked and has a bunch of people to talk about it with? And it's going to be the, the latter just because you didn't have a way to process the trauma. Same thing with vets when they come back from, from Afghanistan. Those vets who have PTSD, they also usually have this underlying thing where they weren't able to get into the VA right away. They weren't able to talk to a psychologist right away. They weren't able to, maybe they were the only ones that survived in their entire platoon. So they didn't have anyone who also experienced it with them to process it with versus other vets who might have seen an even crazier thing happen, but at least one other person in their platoon survived. So they were able to talk about it with them. So it's really this, um, an event happening and like the, deb the debriefing or a rupture occurring between a parent and a child. And does that parent go and repair and like apologize? Like, I'm sorry, it's been a really long day. Because we're, we're humans. We don't need to be perfect all the time. But if we... Um, or at all, no such thing as perfect. But if we, if we yell at our kid, if we spank our kid, and then we just like sweep it under the rug, then that's more likely to be traumatic to your child than if you spank them and go back and be like, I, you know what, I know that I teach you not to hit, and I 
I'm sorry that I, you know, and try to explain it. And it doesn't have to be a long lecture. It can really just be an I'm sorry and give them a hug. And that could be enough to make that experience no longer be in fight or flight in their brain anymore. They're like, okay, it's repaired. It's, it's better. And it's the fact that vulnerability is just barely becoming a thing with parents. We're just barely allowing ourselves to take off that superhero mask around our kids and be like, actually, mommy is a human being just like you. Mommy has big feelings. Mommy gets tired. Mommy gets angry. All these things happen to me too. And this is, this is the skill that I do to calm down instead of all the people that are just like, calm down and stop freaking out and stop being so angry. And yet those are the same behaviors that they model to their kids. So why, why do we expect our kids to act differently than us? And that this, that, that misalignment is what causes most wounding, honestly, as a kid watching their kids, their parents freak out and never getting that, like, that repair that, like, okay, well, what, what just happened? Yeah. A really yeah. long answer. <laughs> no, I, I think that that was, that was perfect and that perfect. No, I think that was a great answer. And I, when I think of that, I think of like, okay, that is, that's like a, to me, an obvious traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, what other kind of wounding can come from like neglect and what, what could neglect look like? Um, maybe even in someone's home today that might be showing up today and repeated from their own childhood. What is that type of neglect? So like? The biggest neglect right now is moms on their cell phones. So if you go to a park right now, so I purposefully will leave my park, my phone in the car and um, will like just ask another mom because everyone else has a phone what time it is. And it might yep. be like a little awkward or whatever, but I don't, especially when it's a park that we've been to a hundred times and I already have a million pictures of them on that swing. I don't need another picture of them on that swing. They look the same when they're swinging. It's fine. But you have like so many of our childhood interactions come from play come from learning through digging in the dirt and digging up snails and um, all these things that we did with our parents because there weren't cell phones to distract our parents. Maybe they were at work. Maybe they had other things going on. But for the most part, even the most abused child still will have some memory here or there of like baking in the kitchen or, or something that they can cling on to as like this was a positive part of my childhood nowadays our kids see the back of our phones they don't see us they're doing something awesome they're going across the monkey bars the first time ever and they're so excited and they go to look at their mom to be like mom i did it and she's scrolling facebook and she didn't see it and again they're like oh mommy cares about more about that box than she does about me and we are missing our kids childhood and we think snapping pictures is enough to fill that in until you go and you have one of your memories pop up and you're like, oh my God, that was four years ago. How was that four years ago already? What have I been doing for the last four years? You've been scrolling Facebook. You've been not living your life. Yeah, I I was that way. I was that way. Um, And, you know, I have a five-year-old, Lady J, and I have been telling her since she was throwing tantrums at, you know, less than two you need to use your words. I can help you if you tell me, right? Tell me what you need. And so we've been using that for, for years now. And when we go to leave to go to the park, if she sees my phone in my hand, she's like, leave it home. You don't need that. She's like, told me, you don't need that. And I used to think I had to take pictures of everything and record it so I could fo- post it on Facebook. She's like, no pictures, mom. She's been that way the last year. So that, I would say, has been a huge difference in engagement with her that she's like she's pretty bossy so she's telling me her needs but but also you know seeing seeing that I'm trying to grow my business online I was online all the time I was online from the moment I woke up until the end of the day and this year I shifted I actually hired a virtual assistant to specifically not be online and away from her and and I'm realizing right now in this discussion how that's shifted and changed things. But I was exactly in that space of... Yeah, a huge part of that is P- 
people, we have that, that FOMO, right? That fear of missing out or what am I going to be missing out on? And we don't think about um, a big thing when it comes to pleasurable parenting for me, why I use that term is really enjoying the little moments, enjoying watching your kid find two snails and them racing each other, which is totally like, if you go back to the fifties, you talk to your grandpa, like that was a thing, a totally yeah. normal thing that they did. And the 80s of the video games was a little bit different. Like my husband's childhood, for the most part, he remembers Nintendo and things like that in between school. But he also remembers going bike riding. And with the fear of missing out has just also been like fear in general. In, in Utah, they had to legalize the way that we were raised in the 80s. They call it free range parenting, which essentially is my legal right to let my 10-year-old and my 4-year-old walk to 7-Eleven together. And for me, that's just crazy because I, I've lived in the same house. I actually bought my parents' house. So I've lived in the same area for over 20 years. And it's like a super safe part of the city. And the fact that they had to legalize what I did in the 90s, like it was illegal for me to send my 10-year-old, at the time, my 8-year-old up to the park. To just go play that the same park that I played at when I was eight it was no longer safe or legal for me to send him there and they, so Utah passed a law called free range parenting so it's now legal for us to do that and that's just the perpetual fear and victim mentality of the entire country the entire globe of because of this 24-hour news cycle because you find out you know, Amber Alerts, while they were very helpful in saving those kids, made so many more moms freak out every time their phone went off. Like, oh, another kid. Okay, kids, you're not allowed outside. You're not allowed to do these things. And then, but then they're not allowed to do screens. And so they're, they're, your kids are just walking around like, I learned the best through play and I'm not allowed to play. What, what do I do? And then you've got all this anger and you have all this pent up energy and all these things and kids are getting diagnosed with autism and ADD and all of this stuff, which is really just, it's really just the fact that they are not allowed to be kids. The second that they can walk, talk and wipe their own butt, we expect them to be miniature adults and anything less than that is not acceptable and you're going to get punished for it. Even and especially when we don't act the way that we demand kids to at all. I don't know a single parent who acts the way they expect their child back. Yeah. There's, there's, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've had to really be aware of, um, is aligning, you know, core beliefs, mindset and actions. And I was out to lunch with one of my friends and my daughter was with us. We were the only ones in that area. And she was kind of running around the booths and plant. She was doing her own thing. We were there for over an hour. And then there was an older couple that came in and they were probably, I'd say well into their late 60s, early 70s. And the moment they walked in, without even hesitation, without even a thought, I was still talking. I like got her over to the table and said, okay, you need to sit here and sit still now. Now, I don't believe that ch children should be seen and not heard. But I knew that existed and that must have been instilled in me because here, and then I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? Like, I really had to be aware of what am I doing right now? Why am I telling her that she has to stop doing what she was doing for the last hour simply because someone walked in the room. And so I was like, okay, if I'm doing that automatically, what other things am I doing automatically? And how much of that, like you said, is based on fear. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I listened to you share about like epigenetics and how does like this fear and, you know, going back, you know, over time and epigenetics, like how does this all come into play? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. So for those who don't know that epigenetics is the, the study of how our genes are, are passed down through us, not only for our physical, uh, our physical, how we physically look, like how you look like your grandma, but not your mom, uh, but also the, the, emotional levels, the, the skill sets, and all these other things that are actually in our DNA. If you look at a strand of DNA, a lot of uh, scientists say your DNA is only like, like 80% of it's junk DNA. And it's like, well, what the hell is a junk? How is a chunk of who I am considered junk? So epigenetics is going in and looking at some of these um, 
chromosomes and some of these DNA um, strands and seeing that like being angry is actually genetically distilled or being depressed can be genetic or having some of these beliefs actually goes back three generations and then goes forward generations. So that means the way that you act, the way your belief systems are actually from, depending on how old you are, could be from like the 1800s. So for myself, my, my great, my mom, my grandma, so my great grandpa on my mother's side was actually born in like 1870, just because of how like her family has kids older. And she was 36 when she had me. So I have in my genetic coding, slavery being an acceptable thing somewhere deep down in my genetic coding, which is really crazy because my best friend is black. So we've had some like really intense conversations. He's also a guy and I've talked to him and just how, how it never really clicked to me, like what actually slavery was. Cause I was, I'm a white woman who always lived on the Northern side of the border. Like I just never really got it. He's his mom's from Mississippi. So we were able to have these totally different realities. And yet we're, our birthdays are only two months apart from each other. So we were born in the same generation, but how he reacts to a situation is different than the way I act. And we want to say, oh, that's just nature versus nurture for this generation. But it actually goes back on that live stream that you're talking about. I talked about how child labor, that was turn of the 19th century, Newsies. We've all seen Newsies. We've all seen Christian Bale sing his little heart out. And that was in 1899. So when you remember that or the fact that your grandma lived through the Great Depression and then you wonder like, oh, the reason why like people in their 70s have that belief of children should be seen and not heard is because your job was to go dumpster diving. Your job was to go find some copper in, in the dump so that we could trade it in. Like you actually did have to work or on the farm, you did have to work as soon as you could walk and talk and wipe your own butt because it was required. But then as we went through the golden age of manufacturing right after World War II, what a lot of people don't think about when it comes to America and this whole like bring back the manufacturing jobs, bring back oil and all of that, which is really charged in our political system, is that that was an anomaly. During World War II, like most of the world got blown up. So America was over here separated and we were creating from 1949 to 1973 america produced 50 percent of the world's goods so yes we had a manufacturing boom and we needed that but then by the 80s and especially after the berlin wall fell you had the rest of the world being able to create their own manufacturing and now china does so much mostly because of the convenience of where China is. They can get the raw goods. They can manufacture it for cheap. They've, they've got more people. They've all of this other stuff, and then they can send it out. So it's actually economically makes more sense. And then you have, have robots that are coming in. And so GM only needs like a quarter of the people because they're no longer in a, a conveyor belt system making the car. They just need one person to push a button, and then a car gets made. So it really is... Um, the epigenetics of like, okay, well, how can we change that belief system and be conscious of it? Like, I need to know what, where does that come from so that I can be like, is that even something that fits in this timeline anymore? Because of those ideas of like, oh, we need to be hardworking and it's, it's hard work to make a lot of money or children need to sit down and listen and you have to respect your elders and all like, there's a lot of elders I would like to say some things to. Like, especially the ones who are running my country right now. So am I supposed to teach my daughter that she has to respect her grandpa no matter what? Or do I teach her that if her grandpa says something like, stop being a lazy slob, that she's allowed to use her voice and say, grandpa, I might have been a little messy, but I am not a lazy slob. You know, and that's just the empowerment part of like, you have this dichotomy of children. Your parents were raised by people who went through the Great Depression, and your children are being raised by people who went through the 90s bubble and 2008 crisis or whatever, but they weren't, you can't compare the 2008 recession to the Great Depression. I'm sorry. Anyone who tries to is missing the fucking point. Yeah, I think, I think you can't compare it, but I think maybe relative to a child's mind, 
mm-hmm. the experience of lack and the experience of yeah. fear, regardless of what's around it from right. a child's perspective. I think it was. No, it totally is. Probably. You add in the fifties, right? So that's what I'm saying that disconnect mm-hmm. is. You have yeah. your parents who were raised by someone in the great depression, but then they lived in like the sixties when, like I just said, the golden age of manufacturing and there was so much surplus. So your parents probably didn't experience lack, or when they did, it was really weird to them. Like we live in a super nice house. Why can't we go to Disneyland? And it's because their parents were raised in the great depression. So they were hoarding and just like keeping everything that they could just based on how I still kind of see that coming up with the baby boomers though, because it's like they're out there purchasing right right now. They're the purchasers, right? They're out there purchasing and I, and it's as looking back, driven by their parents having lack, wanting to yeah. like, keep everything and then going, oh, we have flow. We have, we have the financial flow. Okay. Now, now let me just go ahead and keep getting all those things. Um, so that's interesting. I can like feel that energy as we're talking about it. Um, yeah. And, just then transferring just through. and then you have all the, the children who are, um, we were talking about energy before we actually started this call. So I wanted to touch on that just really quick on the fact that as we as a globe are processing some of these things and more people are becoming enlightened or awakened or whatever term it is you want to use, we're processing these deep shadows on a global level. So our kids come in and they're actually not, that's just not a thing to them. Like the gay thing is most likely, unless you live in Alabama, not a thing for you. It's not like you have a cousin, you have a friend even in the LDS church, like the biggest group in the gay pride parade in Utah every year is the Mormons building bridges or something like that. And it's all these LDS people with signs like, I love my gay son and all that stuff where it's no longer um, such a stigma. So our children don't like, it's not, okay, Uncle Jake has a husband. Cool. Aunt Sally has a wife. Cool. Like it doesn't mean anything to them, but we still think that there's like, we still have that charge and our parents for sure still have that charge. So it's how do we navigate that energy of like, we don't even need to teach them that they are. Why would we convolute their understanding by trying to teach them something that really isn't even crossing their mind? They're not concerned about who loves who or who's married to who at all. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like ener- energetically, that's a whole that's a whole nother layer of it is that energetic connection. Um, and I'm sure we can like probably even do another episode just on that energy connection. Um, you know, when it comes to you know the the childhood wounding, the epigenetics. You know how does how does this show up in pleasurable parenting? So. Pleasurable parenting, really, the reason why I coined that phrase is this idea of enjoying being a parent, even in the hard teaching moments. So like I said, I don't really believe, I don't at all believe in punishment or fear-based consequences. So I don't like, even so far as like, I'm not going to take away my kid's computer unless the altercation actually had to do with the computer. A lot of people will be like, you disrespect me, your computer's gone for a week. And there's not an exact A to B correlation to the child. So it doesn't like. I think that thought is more about hurting the child. How are they going to, how are they going to remember this so they don't do it again? How is the pain going to be enough? Oh, if I take away their favorite thing or the thing they like. And so that again is that punishment like you were talking about versus, versus teaching. Right. So like, next time they want you to take them somewhere. Right. Exactly. They don't ride. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Something like that where, again, if, if it's that they were on the computer for two hours and you like come in and you found them on their computer, or it wouldn't just be walk in, take the computer and leave, which again, a lot of people do. Tablets are kind of more of the thing. Like kids sneak their phones or they sneak their tablets when everyone is supposed to be sleeping. And I know a lot of my friends, they'll just walk in and not say anything and just take the tablet and leave because they're tired and they don't want to be angry and they don't want to yell, but they're still missing the teaching point. They're still missing that like conversation piece that helps the child understand what happened. So even a simple statement of, you know, that screen time ends at 10, 
you're not going to get this back until Sunday now, and it's like Wednesday, at least the child gets like, okay, she's not freaking out. She's not going to like start screaming at me in the morning because that's what usually happens. You're too tired in the at night and you take the screen and then in the morning the first thing when they're at the breakfast table so what the hell was that all about and then you like it's been six hours eight hours they've slept they've moved on children don't perceive time the same way that adults do so while you were sitting up the whole night with your arms crossed that kid's so disrespectful they just went to sleep they were like okay cool mom took my tablet but she didn't say anything i guess i'll get that back eventually and there's not this, like, you don't create the boundary. You don't explain why you did it, and you don't explain when nothing gets explained. Or, again, if your kid is late from curfew, why is it his computer that's getting taken away and not his ability to go see his friends? Or you don't get the car for a week. Or something that actually has to do with what they were doing. Or they were running around in the, the grocery store and grabbing stuff off the shelves, and you said, the next time you do that, we're leaving. How many moms actually leave the cart? Like, don't, that would be the opposite side. Not only do you need to make sure that your, your consequence fits what happened exactly, exactly correlates action to action, but saying, if you do this, then we're going to blank. Make sure it's something that you're actually willing to right? do. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. actually going to go strap them in the car and drive away and not do your grocery shopping. Is that feasible? Depending on what grocery store you're at, maybe. If it's the one right down the street and you can like go home and there's an older kid and you're just all like, I thought I could do this with little Jimmy, but I can't. I'm going back to get my cart. That's one thing. But if you're like making a run to Costco and you're like right in that sweet spot moment, then you're not going to say, okay, if you do that one more time, we're leaving. Because when you do say that and then they do it again and you don't leave, that's the lesson that they're learning. Yeah, I'm not serious. Versus if you do that again, every treat that you've already put into the cart is getting out. Yeah, we actually just had an experience last night at the store. And my 17 year old was was with me. And it was funny because we met up in the store with another mom that had a small child around the same age as my daughter. And it was around seven o'clock. So time where kids are about having their wind down time about hitting meltdown time. And and we were in line. And I had said, hey, if it doesn't stop, you're going to have to go outside. And my 17-year-old knew it was weightless. And he looked at me and he said, give me the keys. I'm taking her outside now. We're going to go in the car and wait while you're in line. Now, when I got out there, she'd been screaming and had a fit. And usually, like, if I was, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she would have never done that at home. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it was probably good for her to actually have a little bit of like, okay, I, we said, if you do this again, you're going to have to go out to the car. And she did go out to the car. And then we actually were on our way to get ice cream. And we're like, we're going to get ice cream when we go inside and you're not going to be able to get that because of, you know, we left to the car. And then even once you got to the car, it got even, you know, more escalated. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you understand why you can't have the ice cream? And she's like, yeah. And when we got inside, like she didn't cry. She didn't like throw a fit anymore. Like she was in the prior store because she was like, oh, she meant business. I, it, but through that whole store, I kept saying, we're going to have to leave. We're going to have to leave. We're gonna, and she didn't stop, right? Right. Um, and I was like, even when we went in to get the ice cream, she didn't, when we asked for the flavor, and I was like inside like dying. I'm like, oh my God, just give her the ice cream, just give her the ice cream. But I was like, nope, she's taking it. And even that, when we got home, there was some extra. And then at the very, very end, she came up and asked me very nicely and I let her have a bite of it. But it was like, I'm, I'm like hearing what you're saying in that own, in my own experience just last night about how the weightlessness of the words versus like when I take the action, she's like, okay, here's something serious. And it's almost like she craves that too. Like she, she wants me to take that action. Yeah. Kids crave boundaries. They, they test the boundaries because they need to know where they are. It's the reason why kids act like 800 times worse when their moms are around than when they go to grandma's or something and, or, or the babysitter comes or something. And you're like, 
oh my god the babysitter's coming and she's been having a freak out all day long like but I have to go to this thing and hopefully she's fine and you come back and the babysitter's like oh she was a perfect little angel and you're like the hell and the babysitter leaves and then demon child comes back out again it's actually because they trust you the most they know that they can test the boundaries with you the most because you are their safe space and it depends on how you react to them testing your boundaries if you never learned how to safely test your own boundaries you're more likely to freak out or scream or or do Mm -hmm. the the big consequences like I don't think I would have even gone as far as the ice cream because it would have been just okay look this was the consequence you went to the car you freaked out good I I was hearing that as you were talking I was like okay maybe the ice cream was a bit you know like bit much after that that probably could have ended but I also wouldn't have been like, hey, you just like, how do you handle that? Like, hey, you just had the freak out. We're on our way to get ice cream. Here's your ice cream for the freak out. Like, how would well, you handle that? Like on, on a serious note, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, it's the fact that we, again, the lack mindset and the victimhood mindset of the entire globe. It's not like, it's not uncommon at all because it's a global epidemic. This victimhood ideal that you're a victim to your life comes from the fact that we did have these unrelated consequences two things so for me ice cream is not related to the store they are different places See, i looked at that as a reward so there's something in my upbringing and that and that way so thank you for that awareness ice cream was probably a big reward it totally is for lots and lots of people i'm plant-based so we don't really do the ice cream thing but um i can see other places in my life where yes if I had set it up as a reward to begin with, if I had said when we were walking into the store, depending on how you act in the store, that dictates whether or not you get ice cream, then absolutely I would have followed through with you had a total fucking meltdown, you don't get ice cream. But if I hadn't set that boundary to begin with, then I wouldn't feel comfortable with taking that away because that wasn't made clear to begin with. So you made, it clear, you made it clear that if she freaked out some more, she's going to go to the car and your 17-year-old was able to follow through with that. And to me, if that's the boundary you set, then that's it. And that's what I mean by pleasurable parenting. The rupture occurs and then you move on and you can have the fun time at the ice cream shop. And it's no longer related to the store because you're in a different time and you're in a different place. And it's not carrying that energy forward. That's what I'm really yeah. feeling. And it is like leaving it there. Yeah, just leaving it there and bringing well because it's so funny because it's like I've spent the last two and a half years like live in the moment live in the moment and you know it's like oh melding this in my personal life and then melding it in my career and you know entrepreneur and now it's like okay melding it in my parenting which it's you know family healing starts with yourself right and then extending out and I feel like you get into this space where you're like, okay, I'm, they're open. We're open. We're no longer screaming at each other. And then now it's time to open up the hood and go, okay, what is this and how do we fix it? So I, I'm super excited with the new awarenesses I personally have. Um, I can't imagine um, what the listeners are, are thinking right now and, and how their minds are just blown because I'm, I'm, I'm excited for me personally how this awareness will change my own parenting. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Being in the moment is something that we really need to remember. Again, I just, I can't stress enough how time moves differently for children. Uh, a little baby in the crib, she really thinks that it's been an eternity since she's been crying when it's really only been five minutes while you're warming up the bottle. And yeah. there's a totally different energy when you walk in with that bottle to, oh, baby, and picking her up and calming her down. And I'm sorry. And like saying the words, even though she doesn't really understand it. I know it's only five minutes. And she's just getting your bottle and like soothing her versus walking in and here's your damn bottle. I'm sorry it took so long. Why are you always screaming? Like those are two different energies and babies can read energy stronger than most people can. So and then your kids continue doing that. And why, why are kids more empathetic? Why is it that so many kids can, you know, you hear the stories of them seeing spirits or all this other stuff because they are more energetically connected? Or what is it about 
being in the garden that makes a kid want to pick up two snails and race them. I would never do that. I'd take them and throw them in the weed bucket because that's where snails get to go. They get to go to Snail City, and that is the dump. Um, <laughs> and, but it's because of this awe, and they can sit there for hours just digging in the dirt. And you're like, I go out to weed as fast as possible. And it really is, they don't have that concept of time. They have a concept of what is bringing me joy. What is exciting to me? It's why, you know, homework gives such homework battles with your kids because their homework isn't stimulating. But then if you sit down with them and you actually take out apples and oranges and act out the math problem, you like bust through that worksheet that they've been sitting there for an hour just banging their head on the table. They can't figure it out. And then once you take the time, again, that, that disconnect of like, we expect our kids to act this way. We expect that's your homework. You need to do your homework. Well, sit with them. Yeah. Like if they have a problem, continuing to tell them to hurry up, isn't helping them to do their homework faster. It's actually enabling their fight or flight system. They're having now they're thinking about, oh my God, what is the consequence if I do, don't do my homework? And they're really not focusing on it. If you're going to use the public education system, you should probably be doing things with your children. It's not, it was never meant to be a babysitter. And yet that's what it is. It's, it's a babysitter for so many people. But I think that's also a mindset too that's yeah. been passed down, right? Yep. But like you were sharing about how, you know, the school system was created for that, right? To teach those things. So I wonder how much of that is that thought process carried down through that epigenetics. That's pretty interesting. Um, one of the things that you, you were saying was time. And this is one thing that I always remember. And I just remember being a kid. And do you remember that time from Thanksgiving to Christmas? And it's like literally six weeks. And as adults, we know how fast that goes by. And as a child, oh my God, it literally felt like a year for it to go from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Mm -hmm. I'm like now, like, I'm like, it'll be August and then it'll be Christmas. Like it'll, it'll just go by like that. And so just taking myself back to remember that kind of just like helps me go, okay, I can kind of like get that, that, that concept of time. It's not just, Hey, we get older and it moves faster. It's, it really is more than just a saying. It's more than just what we think it is. There, there's truly a different um, lens that it's looking at. And I would equate it also to have you ever, but well, Hey, you moved back to your childhood home, right? No, I've lived Remember here the whole time. Oh, okay. You've, you've been there the whole time. But do you remember how big it was when you were a kid? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it was like the biggest house ever. And now you're like, well, it, it's a nice size, but it's probably not as ginormous as what you remembered it being as a kid. I've, that, that whole, like, relativity to a child's mm -hmm. mind and, and just even applying that to that childhood wounding. Yeah. And what may not be catastrophic for someone, um, I had a life coaching session with a client and it, there was a lot of energy moved and it was very traumatic and um, we were using analogies so that, you know, they can wear a mask and we were just talking about the emotions without getting into the story. And we were talking about if you were setting a stage, what would it be? And the events that actually happened, I mean, I lived a pretty traumatic life. I was like, I was like, that was traumatic. I literally was like, I was looking for something the way that the emotions were coming up and being expressed. I was looking for something huge. And they right. were just everyday things that happen in life. And so I think that's important to understand um, in, in just, it, it's, it's relative to what that person's experience is and the level of energy tied to those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. E equals MC squared. Your energy is what creates your reality. Always. It's the same way with, with how you look in the mirror and teaching those things to your daughter. We have one last thing that we can touch on when it comes to that childhood wounding and why one thing would be different than the other is mirror neurons. So we have these neurons in our brain that actually, um, light up when we watch someone doing something with intention. 
So if we see, if your mom is always like, oh, you're such a pretty girl. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. But then when you are sneakily standing behind her door so she doesn't see you and she's getting dressed to go out. And what you see is her putting on a dress and walking to the mirror and getting like a ruffled look on her face or angry or, oh my God, this one makes me look fat. And again, she has no idea that you're there, but you're watching her and see her intention is to get dressed, right? So she's doing something with intention. It's not just holding up dresses. That wouldn't fire your mirror neurons, but actually putting them on, going to look in the mirror, judging yourself, and then switching outfits however many times until you finally put one on. You're like, okay, I guess this is good enough. What she's going to remember is dressing up is what makes me feel good. Mommy's saying things to me that doesn't, mommy doesn't believe that about herself. So why does she believe it about me? These are what is going to create those subconscious beliefs. So if you have a dad who's really angry and you watch him freak out at you and then you watch him beat himself up afterwards or he comes and repairs it, then you're going to learn like, okay, anger is a thing, but we don't need to it doesn't need to stay around. We're able to process it through. Okay, I can, that's fine. That's how so many people can say, yeah, my dad was a yeller, but I, I don't think my childhood was traumatic. Your dad was probably able to come back and talk to you in some sort of way versus the dads that have a total freak out, literally leave the house because they know that if they don't, something super bad is going to happen. And then they come back with ice cream. And they're just like, here you go. And you're like the this happen like what uh my dad's totally bipolar what is going on and so yes that's going to track as trauma because there was never when there is a rupture there must be a repair and that's the joy ah, that's so powerful when there is a rupture there must be a repair yeah even if it's as simple wow. as i'm sorry i'm sorry i shouldn't you know mommy still has big feelings too I don't think that you need to go and say I shouldn't have done that because of course you should have. It was the feeling that you were having. But are you taking the time to explain your feelings? So many moms take a mommy time out because they know that they're about to lose it and they don't want to have their kids see them lose it. Your kids feel your energy first. Your kids know that you're about to lose it. And then you walk out the door and you're in your bedroom and you're... Oh, as you said that, the energy in my body... Like, whoo, so that was something when my mom would get mad, she would grab the keys, right? Grab the keys and walk out the door and she was going to leave. And I just remember like always wondering, was she ever going to come back? And like, like right now I feel it coming up like in my shoulders and it, you know, that's anger in my shoulders and, and, but like the sound of the keys and you know, what's so funny is my kids are the exact same way. As soon as they hear my keys, where are you going? Where are you, where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you doing? It, but, and it's not necessarily like I'm leaving in anger, but it's just interesting how that. Well, that's the epigenetics. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm realizing. I'm like the fact that they're carrying over that. Oh, mom's keys, mom's keys. What does mom's keys mean? Where's mom going? And mm-hmm. which to me rings there's been some abandonment there, which is tied to neglect, right? And so I need to look at that. And of course, I have a, a story and a reason behind it, right? But I need to repair, right? I need to repair what's been ruptured, you know, even if it was ruptured a long time ago. So that way, we can move forward. Yep. The only way to find rapture is through the rupture but the only way to find it is to repair the rupture. And repairing the rupture could look like, okay, guys, it's a high-energy day. You guys are driving me insane, so today we're going to punch pillows because we don't hit each other. So let's get some foam bats and get some pillows or an old chair that's sitting in your backyard or whatever, and we're just going to go ham because everyone is super high-energy. Mom's about to lose it. You've hit your brother like three times. Hitting other people is not okay, but you know what? Let's let's do this or let's go to the jumping park or like find the ways to move the feelings through the body. So many of these wounds that we've been talking about are actually just repressed feelings. You weren't allowed to feel that way. It was not okay for you to have a tantrum in the grocery store. And later it wasn't okay for you to freak out in the car. And when we got home, it was suck it up. 
what do you have to be sorry for? At least we have this house. At least you got some food today. Let me tell you about when I was three years old and I was living underneath a bridge and all these things. You know what I mean? And everyone has a story. Everyone has a mom or a grandma or someone that can say that. But you don't think about the fact that, like, all you needed to do was scream. So that's why I say, again, with the, the ice cream with your, your daughter, the fact that she did have a freak out, that is like, okay, how, how does that feel to have all those big feelings in your body? Like, okay, and you just work it through, and then you just move the fuck on. It's not, right. there's no reason to bring it up the next morning. There's no, if another situation occurs, then yes, like, connect those dots for them. Help them make neurological connections. But at the breakfast table the next day, bringing it back up, all that's doing is adding shame. They already knew that they messed up. But if you're in the grocery store the next time, it would take something as easy as, do you remember what happened last time? And she's going to be like, oh, shit, I went to the car last time. You know, as you say that, like it's bringing up, like inside of me, I can feel that. Because a lot of times, like my fear, you know, before when I used to, be frozen in fear of what other people thought was really tied to that. And, and there was that, like, you did this. And then all of a sudden it was like held, like, you know, it was really held and not released. And Ooh, my belly literally just released that. (laughs) Like, as I said that I could totally feel that moving. We are, we live in a society, like like I said, a million times, victimhood mentality, which means that there has to be a persecutor and a victim. And in the parent-child relationship, for the most part, especially in America, the parent is the one who holds all of the power, mostly out of resentment for the newborn stage. They resent the hell out of the sleepless nights and like the, the screaming and the crying, like how, when the baby had power over them because if they didn't take care of their baby, the baby would die, right? We then resent them. We don't realize we resent them, but we resent them. So once they can walk, talk, wipe their butt, we snatch all of the power out from them because we felt so powerless when they were screaming in our arms and there was nothing that we could do to soothe them that once they're like in this place where they can like get their own cereal or whatever, we just take all their power away from them and slowly try to dose it back out. Or that's what we think we're doing. And we think that, okay, by the time they're 18, they'll be strong enough to hold all their power and they'll be, they'll be mature enough and blah, 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 blah. Well, our brains aren't fully developed until we're 24. So that goes out the window right there, trying to think that your 18-year-old is responsible enough. But my biggest mission is to teach parents how to teach their kids to hold the power the entire time. So let your four-year-old have the tantrum without shaming him about the tantrum sit with him be with him in that feeling get lower than him there's all these nonverbal cues that we can do to not be big and scary so that they're allowed to feel through the emotions because the more you can feel through an emotion the faster you learn how to um to balance it and become resilient and become insightful and you know okay there's a me and there's a you but there's also a we dynamic going on that that we, we get to work through together. But sometimes you're just freaking out because of you. I don't need to assume so many kids carry this blame, carry the shame of I'm the reason why my dad acted that way. I messed up, so my dad hit me. I did this, so my mom grounded me. I did that. And when it wasn't, for the most part, it's not usually your kid, right? It's usually that that was the last straw for you. You've already had a super long day, and then your kid breaks a plate. So you just can lose it on them but it's not really like it's a cheap plate from pier one it really the plate doesn't matter all this other stuff doesn't matter but then we're taught to follow through there's this whole idea of like oh well you did it like you said with the ice cream like i gotta follow through with what i said i was gonna do that's again just this mentality of of the working class like yes you did have to follow through with making sure that your fields were cleaned up and farming and like whatever but most of us are not living on a farm most of us are not working in actual manufacturing jobs. And I had farmers in my family. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. And even like your, your husband or your, you yourself, you have your, your work assignments and you follow through with those, but that's because there's weight to them. There's, there's a reason behind it versus if you don't have a good reason 
for why you said something, you don't need to follow through with it just because you said it. You can backtrack. That's totally, like, mistakes are our opportunity to grow. So why, why we think that adults aren't allowed to make mistakes in front of kids while kids, that's how they learn. They make a mistake and then they learn from it. They make a mistake and then they learn from it. We don't let our kids make mistakes anymore. We don't let our kids fail. We have a whole generation of millennials walking around totally terrified about doing anything because they got participation awards and weren't allowed to fail at anything. They got pushed through the school system even when they were getting Ds in every class and fails because of no child left behind and all these things where it's like, you're not, we are doing our children a disservice the way that we've institutionalized so many things and how we raise them to be miniature soldiers working for someone else like right like as you're talking like I'm like none of this even feels pleasurable like as you're describing it I'm just like oh yeah it's how 90% of Americans are living it's how you know I have had so many people say how can you homeschool like isn't that so hard to homeschool how isn't it so hard to to do that and I'm like you know what I do to homeschool I make him do the dishes he has to do his own laundry. He gets to sit there and instead of making the recipe using whole cups, we use a quarter cup the entire time. So he's got to figure out, okay, two and a half cups of flour is really 10 quarter cups or whatever. So he's doing math, but doing like free on math. And he likes math. So he'll actually go on the computer and do some more math or he'll get a math workbook out and he'll do his fractions or whatever. But when I sit there and I think about my own education, and how much did I actually move into my real life versus I didn't know how to do taxes. I didn't know how to change a tire. I didn't know how to, you know, make a pot roast or any of that stuff when I got married. And even now, I still don't know how to change a tire. Like, that's one of my goals for this year is to learn how to change my own tire by myself so I don't have to call AAA. But that's what, like, our kids need to be going through the school of life. And if you decided to be a parent, and in this day and age, okay, well, maybe it won't be if they overturn Roe v. Wade, but that's a different story. In this day and age, every person who is a parent has chosen to be a parent. They've either, you know, they, they wanted it and so they created this family or even the surprise pregnancies like my oldest was, I still chose to keep my baby. So if I choose that, if I am deciding to make that sacred contract, then it's my job to uphold my end of the bargain. And my end of the bargain is to teach my child how to be a sovereign being, how to think for himself, work for himself, create for himself. And then when another person comes along, don't care, male or female, and he chooses to live his life with that person, then at least it's a choice based on sovereignty and not a choice of, I need someone to take care of me or... I need, I like codependent relationships get built so quickly because we're just transferring all of our shit from our childhood onto our partner. And we're right. never sovereign. Even the people that are like, oh, well, I lived by myself for 10 years before I got married, blah, 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 blah. Did you feel powerful in that time? Were you seeking a partner the entire time? There are not very many people who were on their own for those 10 years and actually like single for those 10 years, right? They were in yeah. and out of relationships. They're always looking for the next relationship because we are patterning our kids to be so reliant on us. So like, okay, well, you go off to school for 70 hours a week once you add in home or uh, homework and extracurricular activities. Your 10-year-old's working 70 hours a week, homeschool or regular school homework and extracurricular activities. And then you wonder why he's having a freak out. If you work 70 hours a week, aren't you kind of tired and angry? I think so, probably. But again, it doesn't track because, well, I had to go to school and I made it through and I did this and I did. Okay, but did you really? There's a multi-billion dollar industry of which you and I are both a part of self-care, of self-development, of personal growth. I really think like that, like I said in that video, and we, we can close with this because I know it's been a little, a long time. I my goal is to put myself out of business. I don't want to be life coaching in 20 years when my youngest is 24 and gets her is and her brain is fully developed. You know what I mean? Because I hope that more children are being taught these skills 
now. The mindfulness, the insight, the empathy, the balance, the resilience, all these things that we are teaching our clients, whether they're parents or whether they're going to be parents or they're building a business or whatever, it's still energy is energy. Everything in life comes down to love, money, and health. So why aren't we teaching our kids about love, money, and health from a super young age? And that can look like watching your four-year-old have a tantrum and instead of saying, shut up, we got to go, sitting down on the ground and just holding the space for them, getting lower than their eyesight, letting them know, okay, you're in the power right now. You're feeling powerful. You're feeling all your feelings. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait. And when you're ready, give you a hug. Okay, you good? You need to talk about it? No, you don't need to talk about it. You, you know that you freaked out because you broke your own toy. Okay, as long as you get that you broke your toy, then that's the only lesson we need to learn. Why is my child freaking out? And what do I want to teach them? And as soon as you know why, and as soon as you've taught them something, move on. Next awesome. moment, next joyful, next bowl of ice cream, whatever. The lesson has been learned. Let's move on. Yeah, that sounds, you know, just as I, I like that you came up the word pleasurable parenting, because I was kind of like, honestly, I was like, what is that? That's kind of, that's interesting. You know, there's, there's so many meanings behind that. But like when I translate that to enjoyable and I hear you saying being engaged because a lot of times like like if something isn't specific you know specifically planned in the day let alone you know planning a child in your life you know we can get through we can get to those points where our children are just coming along with us for our ride mm -hmm. and kind of if you look at that when i look at that i don't like it when i'm getting pulled along for someone else's ride, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what that is. So I, I like how you just gave the, those tools to get below their, their eyesight level so that they're not that's feeling not intimidated. And one of the things that I've learned, even with my teenagers, is sitting side by side, whether it be on the bed or in the car, we always have our best conversations that way because there's something about when I'm facing them. So I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try even coming down and being intentional with that because when I'm parenting my five-year-old, I'm not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the standing above her. Hey, come on, you know, and, and we got to get going, you know, and, and she starts telling me, um, I don't have time for this. You know, that's her thing. Hey, you know what? We got to put your shoes on. We got to clean up your mess. And she tells, I don't have time for this. You probably Where, it. Oh, I do all the time. And so that is, I think, a really that's big thing. Just the priorities, though. Right. Prioritizing. Does it really matter if you're late? That's one question that I ask myself all the time when I feel like I'm about to, like, bark an order. I'll stop for a second and say, why? Why do we need to hurry? What, like, if it's a doctor's appointment, okay, like, we all know that if you're 15 minutes late to a doctor's appointment, that's fine. But if we're going to a play date, am I going to start our play date with this emotional charge of, oh my God, I'm sorry, he wouldn't put on his shoes, blah, 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 and then, yeah, or does it really not really matter if we're 15 minutes late to that event? So, again, the, the why, why is my child acting this way can also be why am I acting this way? Why do I care? Why do I care that this is what's going on? Why do I care that my child's freaking out? Or what you said at the beginning in the grocery or in the, the restaurant. Why am I telling my child to sit down now that that person walked in the door? I've had old people be like, oh, don't worry about it. I get it. Kids are kids. When I thought like, oh my God, I'm about to get berated. Like this lady's walking over to me and she's really coming over to be like, he's fine. Like, don't worry about like, don't, don't make him stop because of me, please. Or. I don't get to see my grandkids, so it's nice to see them. Or these thought you can't know what another person is thinking, so you can only work on why am I? Why do I care? Why yeah. does it matter to me? And if it doesn't really matter, then just be quiet. And when it comes to those those nonverbal cues, it's again like parents should all be given a neurological like map of how the brain develops because a four year old brain is closer to like a snake than a human so how does a snake react when it feels threatened it gets big it gets scary and it's gonna strike at you but if you get below a snake's eye level if you get you know back away it calms down 
Same thing with your four-year-old, your five-year-old, having a total tantrum. Take three steps back and sit down cross-legged. You're lower than them, and it throws them off. They're like, and it disrupts their brain path. It disrupts that freak out for a second because they're trying to figure out what are you doing? Why are you not hovering over me anymore, making me feel this fight or flight freak out because you doing that is just adding to them because you're higher than them. You're, you look intimidating to them. But when you get below them, just on a very basic brain level, something is lower than you. You are more powerful in that moment. So then you don't have to feel so threatened. So that's like, that's the easiest trick in the world, honestly, with toddlers is just sit down because they will be, they'll either be so confused by you sitting down that they like walk over and are like, mommy, are you okay? Or they'll just start calming down because they don't feel threatened anymore. This is like such great information. I think so many people need to hear this. And if we're all really honest, there's so many people that need it that won't admit it. And mm-hmm. so making it available um, here in this safe space is, is just amazing. Thank you for being here, Karen. How can people keep up with you and, and keep hearing this great information? Yeah, so um, I'm sure it says it in the title, but my name is Karen Terrace, and I'm the only one of me. So KarenTerrace.com, Karen Terrace on Instagram, Karen Terrace on Facebook. Um, the one on Facebook, you're looking for a picture of me in a cape. There's a really old Facebook profile that I don't have access to that is still also me. But if you click on it, the last thing that was posted was like 2011. So it's not that one. It's okay. That one. Awesome. So look for you and your wondrous cape on there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate your time and, and your gifts and sharing them.